Woke, because you are here today. Welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Frickin' Aaron Wiseman. And I am talking with fellow DO woman, fellow Indiana physician, fellow amazing badass, Dr. Michelle Curtin. She's a developmental behavioral pediatrician and here to talk to me today about finding your way as a young clinician. And we get more into depression versus burnout. So jump into this conversation. It's a good one. And I'll see you afterwards for that kick of encouragement. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Michelle Curtin, fellow badass DO woman. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks, Erin. I'm super excited to be here. (laughs) This is going to be spicy, y'all. All right. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself, fellow Indiana physician. I'm a relatively new Hoosier. This is my fifth year living in Indiana, and I have lived all over the Eastern time zone. I love traveling. I love learning about what America is like. Uh, I think a lot about 30 Rock and every part of America is America, but that doesn't mean that they're the same, which has been really interesting and very helpful for me, especially as I'm practicing medicine right now. I'm currently a developmental behavioral pediatrician, which is a subspecialty in peds that lots of people have not heard of. We're a very underserved specialty. We're one of the top two, and we work with kids who have concerns around their development. So I do a lot of autism evaluation. I talk about global developmental delay and intellectual disability a lot. So what you're hearing is that I give a lot of hard diagnoses. I have a lot of difficult conversations, and I explain a lot of stuff that we don't have great information about. And so we spent a lot of time talking about this is what we know today. And tomorrow could be totally different. So uh, all of that kind of makes it a unique blend that can be pretty challenging. Yeah. And given your clinical career experience, we're actually not going to go in that direction today, but we're going to go more on the topic of finding your way as a young clinician. Tell me more about that. This is the longest I've been in one place since I was 18, which is a crazy thought. And so as I'm kind of building my my path and connecting with people and learning about what it is to be both junior faculty and someone who's in charge of things for the first time, you know, I see tons of stuff happening. I see lots of both cases that I'm involved in, cases that my learners are involved in, cases that my colleagues are involved in, where people in this climate in particular, are just feeling so hopeless and helpless. And I see a lot of demoralization. And, you know, I felt that too, for sure. And it's absolutely a peaks and valley situation. Some days everything is great. We're fine. Some days is real, are really hard. And so I've been thinking a lot about what it looks like in the context of people just starting out when you're fresh and full of hope and what it is to kind of get that smack down dealing with all of the things going on, trying to help your patients, trying to make sure your career is going the way you you want to feel fulfilled and how all those things come together sometimes. Yeah, I think that's so important. And the analogy of like the peaks and valleys, I think we also need to have discussion to quantify like you can be low, but there's a point when it's pathologic low. Absolutely. And I think how long it's going on too. Like if it's all valleys then you're not really getting that natural course at all. Like There should be lots of things about our jobs 
that are great, not just good, not just fine. There should be lots of things in this career path that we've spent, you know, umpteen years getting to that make us happy. And I think when you come home at the end of the day to your family, to the mirror, if that's not what's going on most of the time, you need to really think about why that is. And there are a lot of things that go into that for sure. Like our EMR system went down recently across the whole campus. That was a bad day for everyone. No questions about it. But that is an anomaly. And so how are you feeling most of the time? How are things going most of the time? And that really needs to be part of that reflection about what you're doing. And if you're on the trajectory you want to be on, I think. You know, one cool homework assignment that I give to my coaching clients is they have to keep a number journal on the day. And we decide, what are you telling the number on? So like one to five, at the end of the day, how fulfilled are you? Are you like a zero or like a negative one? Or are you like a five or above? Because a lot of times people come to me and I'll ask them like, how fulfilled are you? Like they'll say they're not happy in their job, but like how fulfilling is your job? How much joy do you have? And they'll say like, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, either you do know and you're suppressing the answer or you really don't know and we need to go fact finding. I had one client one time and I shit you not, I had her do this and she's like, I'm okay. I just want to coach to like be able to stay in the job I'm in. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'll go with any goals that you have as with coaching. I was like, but do this assignment for me. So I made her do it for two months, rating every single day, just a number, keep it on a post-it note, shoot, write it on your arm. I don't care. And give me a number on how fulfilling the day was. And then we're going to average them over the week. And then we're going to average them over the month. And she came back to me and it was like, her eyes were open. She's like, Erin, my average is like 1.5. And I was like, are you okay with that number? And she's like, no, I'm not. And so I think that to your point, like sometimes we just sit so long in the pathologic abnormal, we don't even know what normal feels like again. And then as we start like looking around, either jealousy pops up because we see other people who are fulfilled and who have figured out what they want to do and we get pissed about it, or we just stay in like unknowing and just think everything's okay. Oh my God. I love this so much. And as I think about it too, like one of my touch points has been my friends and close friends and family. And I have a great friend who I'm blessed enough that she is a social worker with fabulous clinical training and does amazing therapeutic work where she is. And so she's just the most insightful person, but the reflection back when we have conversations and after several months to be able to hear, you seem like you're doing really well, or you really have been struggling for a while and I'm worried about you. Just hearing that from someone who loves me and knows me has at times also jerked me and had me reevaluate and think about, you know, I've been living this and I maybe have been in that moment chaos, but I haven't necessarily been reflective or looking for patterns because I'm approaching so many of these problems that are popping up right now. And there is so much of that in medicine that this thing happens, we have to handle it. And that's totally true. That's what you have to do to take care of patients. But what does that look like over the course of a month, six months, a year, five years? And that is a really important reflection. I think family does such a great job of that too, in a way that we ourselves can't do. So I love love that introspective idea. And I also think it's so great to have an external checkpoint who is only interested in your health, well-being, happiness, 
Because, you know, I've worked with some great bosses who want me to be happy at work, but they also want me to be where I am because the work that we do is important and they need us. And that's a different thing than talking to someone who just loves you and is going to reflect back, not necessarily what you need to do to make that job better or what you should do, but is definitely going to reflect back who you are and what they think you need. Yeah. That's why I love coaching so much, both to get myself coached, because sometimes you just need that outside perspective who can like really see it from a different angle and like ask you that question or give you that like one sit and observation that like knocks you on your ass. And you're like, oh, okay, I see that now. So I love that. We'll talk a little bit about your story and kind of the ebbs and flows that have come for you. You know, every time I have kind of moved to a new chapter of my life, I've also moved states, which is an interesting compounding factor. I love the perspective personally that every time I go someplace new, I approach what's happening for better and for worse as a, this is what this system looks like. And this is what this location looks like, which is really different than someone who has lived and done all their training in the same place. And that's what they know. And there is a lot of balance around this is how we've always done it versus this is the best way to do it. And I think that's really part of why nationally quality improvement is so exciting to so many doctors. People want to do what's best for our patients, not because it's how we've done it, but because it really is the best. So I find that energy really exciting, but it's also very challenging. There's a lot to be said in terms of thinking about support networks and people who know you and how that changes when you're in a different place. I think everyone's going through this with COVID right now, that everyone is cut off from their people compared to the way they would normally engage. And that is such a heavy load to bear alone. And so as someone who's moved a lot, I absolutely have a lot of phone friends, have a lot of phone relationships. And so COVID in some ways didn't change as much as it might have, just because that was a big part of that. But I see so many young trainees and junior faculty who lose their friends and family in terms of like, it's all about finishing their charting for the day. It's all about writing for, I'm doing air quotes, 15 minutes is such a, I I don't even understand that concept, but you know, doing that academic work in your spare time and all of these other things. And it gets hard to stay connected in those relationships when you're not able, you feel to prioritize them. So for me, moving so much has helped me to understand that. I lost a lot of that in residency and in medical school. And I joyfully refound it in fellowship, which was incredibly important for my well-being, for my burnout. I was very burned out leaving residency, as I think so many of us are, and feeling like I didn't have any of that control and things like that. And so for me too, I think sometimes starting in a new institution as I was able to make decisions helped me to feel like I was on a fresh page and starting with a new team. I definitely felt that coming to my current position. Absolutely. And talk a little bit about the recent medical student talk that you did on depression and kind of what spurred out of that. I had the fabulous team of other amazing women who I was able to work with through our system. And we started teaching about pediatric depression. That's part of like the hats that we wear. But as we were engaging with students, students were coming back with a lot of questions that made me really stopped. Like I stopped dead in my tracks. I feel like I kept hearing this thing about burnout, burnout. We're talking about depression, everyone. If you're hearing this and feeling that the symptoms we're talking about are burnout, maybe you have depression. Maybe you need to understand that 
this is something that you need help with. And also that it's not just on you. I think that there is a lot about burnout that we talk about that suggests that physicians, learners can snap out of it themselves if they just recognize it and take the right yoga classes and sleep enough. Not that there's ever enough sleep for medical people, but that there's something to this. And if those boundaries are that blurred, and especially medical students who are supposed to be like our most optimistic people in the field still, they're supposed to be bright and so excited about everything they're learning and ready to change the world. If they're feeling these things, we have to start talking about this in a different way. We have to help connect them and we have to connect ourselves because that's also coming from their teachers, the clinicians who are out there practicing, the faculty who are doing lectureship. That's just a pervasive change that we have to start talking about. I think that's so important. As a specifically a burnout coach, this is a huge topic for me as far as is it depression or is it burnout? And I'm just going to go on a rant. So I feel like I am in a really good position as a family medicine doctor that when I get on the phone with people, one, being brave and saying, are you depressed? Have you had depression in the past? Have you had anxiety? Are you having thoughts of killing yourself? Would death be better? And I know that not all coaches do that, but I feel like I'm uniquely qualified in in that we have to have this conversation because guess what? Burnout gets better when you change the situation. The fish tank for which you're swimming in, if it's full of toxic goo and we get you into something fresh, your little fish is going to be so much happier. Now, there still need to be some adaptations. You know, no matter where we go, we take ourselves. So we all have a little bit of that internal game that we can fix. But I think you bring up a really, really important point is that like, I think people nowadays, because of the mental health stigma, instead of acknowledging, maybe I have depression and I need further psychosocial psychiatric help, I'm just going to call it burnout and just take care of it that way. And I'll be perfectly honest, anybody who comes and talks with me they will know that I will refer them to a psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist, in addition to my coaching, because I'm so passionate about getting your mental health game. It's just as important as getting your pap smears and your your lab work and all the stuff. And it just reminds people like, you are not broken, but we all need help. Absolutely. And I, I shared this with you earlier. I like to use the new girl analogy from one of my favorite characters, Schmidt, talking about in a dating situation with the character he's coaching, Jess, that he talks about, you're the last piece of pie and everyone wants you. And that's that's absolutely true, right? There's not enough physicians in the world, for sure. We are a commodity, for better or for worse. And so people want us to be employed with them. People want us to make money for them. People want us to serve their communities. And so when we are compromised from a burnout standpoint or a mental health standpoint, it impacts us in our families, which is probably the most important thing to me. But a lot of physicians, it can be really helpful to think about like you're impacting all of that if you're not healthy. And likewise, all of that is impacting you. You do have the ability as that piece of pie to choose where you go and what you're doing. And even if that that means sometimes leaving a toxic job or changing positions or getting involved at a quality improvement level or systems level to help make the things that are toxic better. All of those are great. You just need to know which one is the right fit for you and the situation you're in. And you also need to make sure that you're safe because at the end of the day, you come home to your family and yourself. And 
they need you. Everyone needs you, but they really need you. Exactly. I always say that all the time. Who do you go to bed with? Those are your important people. Not everybody else in the world who's taking up your time with that. Well, let's talk because we talked before the recording and I just want to throw it on here on the recording about the whole, if you can control your thoughts, you can change your outcomes. My stance on it is it's bullshit. Like I think there's a whole bunch more. There's a lot of deeper subconscious. I think we all have trauma that we have to start addressing. And that's one thing that's very important in my coaching that I do a little bit different. But what's your thoughts on it? I I mean, absolutely. Can we do things to make ourselves feel better and to help practice with our thoughts? Sure. But just like you said in your analogy, Erin, if you're swimming in toxic sludge, you can't wish that away. It's not all about positive thinking. It's not all about the fairy tale. Peter Pan and Tinkerbell aren't going to show up and you're not going to just think happy thoughts and fly to Neverland. We all know that. That's not enough because if it was, we all would have fixed things by now. And coming into environments where we have colleagues who are super burned out, there's a reason that burnout happened. There's a reason they are depressed. There's a reason they're struggling with their own substance or alcohol problems. If you look at the numbers for physicians, it's pretty terrifying how many of us are self-medicating because we are in such bad straits. As a profession, we're not healthy. We're taking care of everyone else but ourselves. And there's no amount of just thinking about it or not thinking about it, that if I work harder, if I just don't worry about this, it'll get taken care of. It doesn't happen. That's that's just not where it is. And so sometimes care of ourselves is more things. Exactly. I love it because I think it's so important. I think it's so important that like you can't just change your beliefs. There has to be some external movement, some action as well. And I know that we're both very passionate about like some of the best form of action is talking to somebody. Absolutely. And I think that it can be really hard to prioritize yourself to find the time to do it because it's not just there, right? Like we are scheduled to the second well past our our bedtimes. We don't spend as much time asleep because we don't have the time for it. So this is not just one of those, if it's a priority to you, you will make it happen. I see that a lot in like these fitness and healthy eating ads. And that's also ridiculous. It's not just about prioritization for this thing. It's also about saying that other things are less important and that I have to make this happen. But that's a really difficult thing to do. How do you say, no, we can't add on this patient whose child's had a fever for three days. That's really, really hard. I don't know if that's the right decision that, or the decision I'd make either. And so how do we figure this out? How do we make this something that we take care of ourselves? Because if we don't, no one else will. And if we don't, we will break. There's nothing that will be left to give. It's that it's the Shell Silverstein giving tree at its finest. At some point, there's nothing left to give and you're just a stump. And that's not, that's not right. You're the pie. We got to protect you. We got to keep you safe. We got to keep you healthy. Yeah. And that's one thing I think COVID has helped a lot of people realize is like, are the most important things in your life taking up the most time in your life? And that's when I've gotten pretty off balance. It's when it's not. It's when I'm not spending the time with the people I love. I'm not spending time with myself, be it moving my body or just like reading a great fantasy fiction novel or, you know, just sometimes just like being. And I think that's so important that we have to prioritize. Like if you are so down at the bottom of the canyon, 
that you are having suicidal ideation, that things would be better if you're dead, red alert, it's time to take care of you. Hopefully people are doing this well before they get to that point, but that is absolutely a fabulous, like if for no other time you're going to stop and say, I have to be the priority, you can't live that way. You cannot just put one foot in front of the other if you're not okay. There's lots of great resources out there for us. Erin has um, some websites that she uses that she's going to share. But I would say that, you know, talk to, a, talk to a friend, talk to your doctor if you're comfortable, talk to uh, a colleagues if you have trusted mentors, people in the field, just find people to connect with. Because if you need that help, you should have it. There, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that in Indiana, we have Dr. Adam Hill, who has made a lot of effort towards talking about the things that are, are happening to doctors as himself a survivor of suicidality and someone who struggled with alcoholism in his past and talking about when he hit his lowest point. And I'm so glad Adam is still here. I'm so glad he's still here for many reasons. Uh, but sharing that message as someone who survived it is just, I don't want to have to hear that story again because I don't want anyone else to feel that way. And I'm glad that he shares that story to help people realize that they don't need to feel that way. Yeah. He's from my area here in Indiana. Actually, I do a radio show with his dad. I need to get him on the podcast. I know he would do it. He'd be stoked to do it. <laughs> he would be. He would love to do it. He is an amazing guy. If you don't know his story, I mean, we're from Indiana, so, you know, we're kind of local with him. But he's pediatric chemonk and got down the spiral, down, 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 started, continued to use alcohol to cope. Um and almost didn't make it out. And then he self-disclosed and very publicly the organization supported him, got help, and he and his family are thriving now. And it's a pretty awesome story because it's scary. It's scary when everything is going to shit and you don't feel okay. And so the resource I wanted to share that we were talking about, if you'll go back a couple episodes to Dr. Nicole Washington, she was a psychiatrist that came on here for Dr. Me First even pre-COVID, she was starting to kind of rally the troops around physician mental health. And she created an organization called physicianmentalhealth.com. Anybody can go on there. You can look up state-specific and find a licensed colleague in your state who would be more than happy to see you. I use it all the time for anybody who comes coaches with me. And we come to the place that it looks like, okay, we're going to need a little bit additional resources Super confidential. Yeah, all the, the fellow physicians who are in this network agree that if the system is not going to take care of us, we are going to take care of us. And I have really loved working with Dr. Washington and all the colleagues who are in there. And if you're in Indiana, we need some more in our state. Some of the other states are better represented, but get you an Indiana license because we need more psychiatric care for Hoosier doctors. I love that you're sharing that. And I think that the trainees I have worked with, a lot of folks have connected with mental health care. And we've had some really hard talks about the difference between depression and burnout. And that medical school is really, really hard for everyone. It is. But that doesn't mean you should feel like this. That's not okay for you. And what does it look like for us to get you something that's going to help you? Whatever that fit is, whether it's counseling, whether it's talking about other things, that's all okay. You have to do what's right for you. And I really am so proud, actually. Of, I have 
quite a few trainees. I have several colleagues um, at different points in my career who I still keep in touch with who have connected with those services. And I just, it has made such a difference for them, their families, their career. And I love that they're thriving as opposed to just surviving. Yeah. Because there's a big difference between challenging and soul sucking. And that's what I think I want everybody to walk away with is like, you're resilient as fuck. Like you can rise and meet a challenge, but when it is literally a dementor sucking out your soul, we, we need to have conversation. So I want to encourage anyone who's here, talk to Dr. Curtin. Of course, you know how to get a hold of me. I'm always more than willing and open. I will post all of the resources that we talked about in the show notes today. Like no more just surviving friends. Let's get this done. Dr. Curtin, it was so great to have you here on the podcast. I'm so excited to call you colleague and friend and to hang out more when all this COVID crap is done. We're going to get coffee or something in Indy. That would be wonderful. This was a great time. I'm so excited to connect to this amazing community of badass women and that the work that you do is so important because we are, we're badasses. You don't get through medical school or residency without being a badass. A hundred percent. My new saying is in a world of unicorns, be a badass. Here's your kick of encouragement today. Again, I'm going off of my notes that I jot down whenever I have these conversations. It's been really fun, actually, going back and seeing what my brain picked up on during these conversations and then sharing it with you guys. So what I wrote down is going from hopeless to hopeful, going from helpless to healing. Where in your life are you feeling hopeless, where there's a lack of hope, or there's just a very teeny tiny amount of it? Jot that down. And where do you want to expand that hope, to be filled with hope, to be hopeful about? And I also ask you, where do you feel stuck? Where do you feel helpless? Where do you feel like you have utterly no control? Those are the areas that I think we can most work on in our lives. And so many times we want to turn away from that. We want to be like, well, I can't control that. So I just need to put that to back of mine or blame it on someone else. Or that feels totally hopeless and unable to change. So I'm just going to give up on it and not put any energies towards it. Now, granted, there's a time and a place when there's things that we absolutely cannot change. It is absolutely out of our locus of control. But what we can do is we can control how we react to it. We can control what we think about it. We can control how it interacts in our lives. I can't solely pick the leadership of our country, but I also cannot wallow in the mud about what is currently there. I have to hold to where there's hope and I have to hold to what I can control and what I can help and heal. Does that make sense? The other thing I jotted down on my note to give for this kick of encouragement today is the pathologic normal. Guys, seriously, since I am not drinking the Kool-Aid of everyday traditional practice, eat what you kill by the almighty almighty RVU, feeling like I have no control in my office, I've really come to realize how much I used to live in the pathologic normal. 
Like, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's always going to be. Not ever going to be able to change anything. And what I realize is like, once you come to that awareness point, you have to either realize I'm staying and swimming in this pool or I'm going to make a conscious decision to get out and to change what I can change. So I encourage you, look around. What's the pathologic normal that you're living with? Maybe it's an event in your life, or maybe it's just thoughts in your head, the invisible rule book that you have that nobody else knows about the rules, but that it has to be like this, or it should be like this, or I can't do it like that. That's the pathologic abnormal. Take a look at it. Let me know what you find. Because the deeper I look, the more I find, but that also means the more that I can change. I hope this has been a great episode for you. It's been a super great episode for me. I got a lot of stuff going on. So feel free to check out the show notes, the new website, Burnt Out to Badass, that has the course and everything along with that. We've got this podcast going on. We've got a lot, a lot of fun things happening out there. So keep hanging with me. And if you need a little help from going from hopeless to hopeful, from helpless to healing, you know I got your back. Remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. Heavy lids, one, two, three, four. You've got some.